Welcome to the Grow to Gold podcast. I'm your host, Brett Goldstein. And on our episode today, we have Marvin Mitchell, CEO and founder of his own financial firm, serial entrepreneur, 180 unit apartment owner. This guy is doing it big on so many different levels. And I'm super excited to have him on today's episode. So Marvin, how are you doing, my friend? Oh man, I'm I'm great, bro. Can't can't complain. Um just just bought a new house. So, you know, just getting ready for that. So taking everything one day at a time. Congratulations. It's been uh it's been fun to follow along with your journey. And I'm I'm super excited to introduce my audience to you because I know they're gonna get a tremendous amount of value from this episode. So before we jump into this, I have to warn everybody if you're driving, if you're listening to this at the gym, pause us get back to a place where you can take some notes because this is definitely going to be an episode that is going to not only change your life, but the life of future generations of your family, because this man is going to teach us how to be your own bank, how to leverage your own income. This is going to be a phenomenal episode. So let's start at the beginning with your story, Marvin, because I know a lot about you. I've done quite a bit of research, but I think it's important that everybody understands your humble beginnings. You're not a guy that grew up with a ton of money. As a matter of fact, you were the first person your whole family to go to college, right? Oh, yeah. You definitely did your research. Yeah, I was. I was first person to go to college. We grew up poor. I was uh, born to a mom, um, got pregnant with me at the age of 15. Um, by the time she was in, uh, by the time um, she had three kids, we actually were homeless. We lived in a, in a shelter um, for a while. So I definitely didn't come from, um, from rich beginnings. <laughs> Uh, whatsoever. I, I grew up pretty poor. Uh, we grew up in what some people call a hood, you know, where I grew up. And, um, and man, for my dad wasn't around. So typically people like me should have been either dead or in jail, but definitely made it out of that. Um, became the first person in my family, as you said, that graduated from college, moved on to law school, didn't finish law school, ended up coming back home to St. Louis where I live because my grandmother got sick. And uh, that's where my journey in the financial field really came into play because um, my grandmother um, got lied to by <laughs> told that she was safe by some advisors. She ended up losing a ton of money and um, dying, feeling like she was a burden on the family on Medicaid. So I really um, stepped in at that time and said that I need to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody in our family or, or really anybody else. And that's what brought me to the financial field. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I learned that about you. And that that's incredible. So in, in that in that moment where your your grandmother ran into a really tough financial situation, you had mentioned that that she got sick. And um, from the research I did about you, uh, that was right, right about the market crash, too. So she lost, I think yeah. you said half of her money from the stock market crashing, and then the other half from medical bills. And it sounds like this is a woman that, you know, played it safe and really didn't have yeah. that financial education. So this became a mission for you to make sure that that didn't happen to anybody. So moving forward from there, are you, you graduated from, so at this point, did you graduate from school? Where, where are you at now in your yep. life? By the way, you're hired. Um, you can go around the country just telling my story. So you, you know it better than I do. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, but um, you know, I had graduated at this time. So since I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, my grandmother made me her durable power of attorney so now I was responsible for looking after her finances. And of course, um, that's when it happened. She lost all of that money. She had no long-term care insurance. So the rest of her money was spent down on medical expenses. And she ended up, um, you know, dying with, with no money. And uh, that, that's what really led me. So I was already out of college. I had already 
started law school. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't finish law school, because as you know, when someone gets sick in a family, there's typically, you know, one or two people doing all of the work. So came back to help take care of my grandmother. And uh, that's where my story in the financial field uh, comes into play. Got it. So let's, let's keep going from there. So now how did you, you got into the financial field? Were you working mm-hmm. in, I, I believe you, you went to New York. Where, how, where did you go? How'd you get into finance? Let's talk yeah, about that. So I, I, I started, good question. I started at a firm um, in St. Louis. Many of you heard of it. It's called Edward Jones. Um, Edward Jones was, is actually headquartered in my home state of um, Missouri. So it was in St. Louis. So um, that's why I pursued Edward Jones. Now, that's when I realized that the Wall Street industry, you know, no offense to Edward Jones or anybody, but Wall Street industry was was kind of corrupt. It was it was really it was following a system that have led too many people um, astray. Now, it's the reason why 70 to 80 percent of people run out of money, uh, because, number one, they're either not savers or they're following bad advice from traditional Wall Street investors. So. I'm at, here I am at Edward Jones now, um, thought that I would never leave. I grew up poor, now I'm making six figures. Then I have a couple of stories where clients are coming to me, telling me, just like my grandmother, that I don't want to lose. And we were taught to keep people invested at all costs, even if they just retired, even if they can't afford, afford to lose. They need to stay invested. If the market, this was the, invest, uh, the financial field's philosophy. Oh, don't worry about it. It's only a paper loss. It'll eventually come back. You're in this for the long haul. We were literally trained at financial lingo to tell everybody, oh, don't worry about it. It's only a paper loss. So my response to that is this. Um, yeah, it's only a paper loss. But however, you could have paid for your grandkids' college education with that paper loss. You could have bought a house with that paper loss. You could have, you could have invested that paper loss and made some money somewhere else. So it's not a paper loss. So if it's a paper loss when the market goes down, doesn't that also mean it's a paper gain when you make money? Nobody ever wants to talk about the paper gain. It's always a paper loss to make people feel better. But no, let's be real with people. You're actually losing money. And, um, and that's not a good thing, especially if you're somebody who, who is counting on this money to live on in retirement. Uh, and that's how I knew I needed to make a change, especially you know, younger people coming in telling me that they, didn't, they, they wanted to take money out of their 401k to start a business, not realizing that they got to get penalized, not realizing that their money is in prison. They can't even touch that money until they're 60 or 59 and a half without getting penalized. They have no liquidity. They don't have any control of that money. In fact, the government has all of the control of that money. The 401k is uh, literally jail for a lot of people, a lot, a lot of your money. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying 401ks are absolutely horrible. If you get a match, um, you know, put the money into the match, but anything above that is literally putting your money into financial prison. Not just that you can't touch it, but also, don't forget, it's going to have to get taxed on the way out. And if the government decides to increase the taxes, which they're in control of it, they can actually take more of your money anytime they want to. Hmm. That's so interesting. And I want to go back to what you said about when you first got into Edward Jones, because from what I understand, you're, you weren't making six figures before you got there. You were a poor no, kid no. working. What, what were yeah, you doing before you got, was, got working, to Edward Jones? I was Jones. working at Wendy's. <laughs> wow. I was working so, at Wendy's. I so had a you, part-time job at Lowe's too. So I was working, you know, ton of hours at Lowe's and, and Wendy's, but I was flipping burgers and, um, and almost chose not to go into the financial field because of people who, you know, obviously they would scare you and tell you, you know, what if you, what if you fail, you know, it's a commission-based job. So what if you don't make it and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I let some of that fear get to my head and, 
my, 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 my mentality at the time was so poor minded that I actually thought, I said, I can't afford to lose this job at Wendy's, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of one of those, one of those crazy things, man. The, That's incredible. So the educational going, system don't prepare your mindset. It, it just no. teaches you to be a worker for sure. No. And, and that's what, that's what this whole grow to gold community is about is about the mindset first, because that's the common denominator I had on yesterday, a, a billionaire stock trader who's based out of Hawaii. And we spent 90% wow. of our conversation just talking mindset. And, and that's, what's fascinated me about you and going to where you're at now at Edward Jones you go from Wendy's making an hourly wage and Lowe's making an hourly wage to now you're a six figure guy. Yeah. And I'd imagine at that point, you're probably in your early twenties if I had to guess. Oh yeah. Early twenties. Yes. About 21, so, maybe 21 coming from, you know, hourly wage to now mm -hmm. six figures. And you recognize that in the industry, something's wrong but you're also making six figures. So a lot of people would have just swallowed that and said, it is what it is. I'm making great money, but there was something inside of you that just knew yeah. that wasn't right. And then what, what did you do from there? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I wrestled with it for about, you know, two to three months. I'm like, man, I, mm, six figures, you know, but at the end of the day, I had to remind myself is that I got into this industry out of the, out of the memory of my grandmother. So how can I now be someone who, no matter how much money it is, deal with something that I don't believe in and my ethics don't believe in? So I decided to leave. And of course, everybody thought that I was crazy. You got to keep in mind, if they thought that I was crazy for leaving Wendy's, you know, they thought that I was crazy for leaving a six-figure job now. So so here I am. I, I, I leave for this six-figure job. And um, I mean, I leave a six-figure job and I everything fell apart. I didn't talk about this on some other interviews, but everything fell apart when I first left. People think, oh, your story must have just went well and it all just worked out. Not necessarily. So when I first left, so I was at the time, um, now I'm 26. I was engaged to be married at that time. I remember I had a, uh, I was a part of a church uh, community at that time. Um, and and I had this six-figure job. So I leave as soon as I decide to leave. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I had to do something different. So I chose to commit first and figure out the rest later. So I leave. And once I leave, um, all hell broke loose. <laughs> um, the church uh, that I was a part of all of a sudden decides to become really traditional and man-made and sort of to have some kind of man-made rules that that was not religion was not god so i decided to talk to the pastor and leave all those people shunned me um i got shunned by the whole church uh got deleted from facebook called the enemy called the devil all those anything that you could think of i was probably called because i decided to leave the church secondly um the fiance i had at the time she was involved in that church community so because i left the church our relationship got rocky. So we ended up um, splitting. So here I am now um, leaving my company, not having a church home, um, not having a fiance. And at the same time, mentally, I got to pick myself up to struggle to build a business from scratch, which I already feared doing because I didn't have a big name behind me. So man, I had some nights where I literally you know, I was bitter. I was like, I wanted to throw something against the wall because of I had lost some of the people that was close to me. And um, I'm knocking on doors, getting doors slammed in my face, um, introducing myself to people. So all of these things are happening.
Yeah, so here I am. I'm I'm just literally, you know, getting doors slammed in my face, um, dealing with the emotional of, of people close to me, you know, veering away from me, losing my fiance at the time. And I gotta build a business and go home and write thank you notes uh, every single day, getting rejections and doors slammed in my face. You see, everybody wants the victory at the end, but nobody wants to go through the sacrifice and go through the mental, uh, the mental exhaustion that it took to get there. Because I'm telling you, I don't regret any of the things that happened to me to get me on the path that I'm at because what happened to me actually was the adversity that I needed in order to get to build up my mentality to be this tough skinned individual to go out and build the businesses that I have built. So again, you, everybody wants to go, but they're not willing to get purified to go through the fire. So, you know, one of the things that I had to do and um, thankfully I'm, I'm glad I did it. So. I love pre pressure makes diamonds. I mean, it's, it's Absolutely. very similar. I started my career knocking doors in, in New York and it's the same thing until you've had doors slammed in your face and you've, you've probably heard no close to a million times in your life. And that's yeah. the reason why you're as successful as you are. So moving forward from this point in your story, you're out knocking doors. You probably got to a point where you're like, how do I get back to Edward Jones? Did I, did I burn the bridge? Right. You're yeah. a 20 something year old kid who walked away from six figures relationship with the fiance didn't end up working out exiled and away from the church and now you're really being tested with your back yeah. against the wall and here but, and here's the thing brett if i can interrupt like please one of the things is i never i never was going back <laughs> uh, one, one of the things about me is that when i walk away for something i don't care how much i gotta struggle in the process i'm not going backwards i'm, I'm going to something bigger and better when i left edward jones i had the opportunity to go to bigger Wall Street firms like Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, et cetera. But I'm saying, nope, if I'm going to leave a Wall Street firm, I'm not going to leave a Wall Street firm to go to another Wall Street firm. I'm going to struggle, but I'm going to do it. See, I, one of the things that I have always believed in is the motto of burn the ship. You know, the motto of burn the ship is, um, you know, I used to say this to myself all the time. Hey, burn the ship, go to war, take no prisoner, go out and claim what is yours and do it or die trying which means that when I say bye to something, I'm literally burning that ship and there's no plan B. It's plan A or it's plan A. It has to work or it has to work. That's it. And that's the philosophy that I have in life. And that's one of the reasons why I've been able to build a success because yeah, I might fail, but guess what? I'm going to fail forward. I'm not going backwards. I love that. That makes total sense. And I appreciate you saying that. So yeah. moving forward from this point, so your philosophy was different. Cause even if let's say you would have gone back, which we know you wouldn't have, all of these mm -hmm. banks do it the same way. So yeah. now you're trying to do something totally different. And this is where your strategy comes into play. And it sounds like once you realize that there were these yeah. other financial products available, there was these opportunities to protect people that these banks are just not offering because it's not in their financial best interest. Now you knew that going out there and building something like this was really what needed to happen. And that was your mission. So where do we go from this point? You're starting your own company. Where are we yep. at now? Yeah. So going back to when I left um, Edward Jones, my breaking point was basically um, two stories. One story, again, 60 year old lady comes in and said, I can't afford to lose any of my money. Um, and I tell her all, all the, the lingo, you know, don't worry about it. It's only a paper loss. You're in the market. It's going to come back, blah, 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 blah. She said, no, I don't think you understand her and her husband's name was Walter. It's not, I can't afford, we can't afford to lose any of our money. So when I mixed up, when I, you know, made their investments a lot more conservative, 
they began to tell me about strategies they had, they had learned. So I went back to Edward Jones and said, does this exist? They said, yes, it does exist, but we don't offer it. Why don't you offer it? Doesn't pay the firm enough revenue. Well, why don't we at least know about it? We're not about to train 14,000 um, people on strategies that we don't offer. Okay. So you know it exists, but you're just not telling us about it. Yep. Didn't sit well with me. Next story happened, but I stayed. Next story happened was my breaking point. This was a um, 45-year-old um, guy. And he came to me, he had just lost his job. He said, it's a blessing in disguise because I'm ready to start my business. I said, okay, good. Have we thought about how we're going to get funding? He said, well, uh, I was thinking I can take it out of my 401k. I said, okay, great. We can take it out of the 401k. This is the problem though. You know, you can't touch that money until you're 59 and a half or else you're going to get hit with a lot of taxes and a lot of penalties. They're going to take half of it. Do you really want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. Okay, great. Let's look at some other options. Well, I can, I've been overpaying for my house. Uh, while I was working. So maybe I can go back and get some of the money out of my house. So you've been overpaying for your house to get it paid off. Now you want to go back and get some money and you got to fill out a long application and they're going to tell you that, nope, you can't have any of your money back because you don't qualify. You don't make enough income. So you got to qualify to get your own money back. Nope, that doesn't work. So you can't get money from your house. What are we going to do next? Well, I can um, go apply for these credit cards, couldn't get approved, credit score wasn't high enough at the time because he had missed the payment because he wasn't working. <laughs> so literally everything that, that he wanted to do was bad time and just wouldn't, wouldn't work out. He ended up going back to work. So that had me to believe, wait a minute, if this guy's in this situation, I know more, a lot more people in, are in this situation. It began to me, get me to think about the system that we were a part of. And the system that we were a part of was leading a lot of people astray. Think about it. System said, go to school, get an education, um, go to college, get student loans. Don't worry about the student loans because one day you're gonna get a good job and you're gonna be able to pay off those student loans. Graduate, maybe go to grad school, get more student loans, go to work, and now you have to work because now you gotta pay off all of these particular student loans. So then you have kids by that time. So all of a sudden you're stuck into the system where you got to be in a rat race and work for somebody else because you can't quit because you got to pay off these bills and you got kids. So you're in a very risky situation at that particular point. Lose your job. You have no security because you think you have security because you got a job and you don't have security because you lose your job. You can't even tap into that 401k for emergency reasons without paying huge penalties. And even if you do continue to work, you can't even tap into that until you're 59 and a half. The government controls it until you're 59 and a half. And even when you retire one day, they want you to work for 40 years so you can retire, live like no one else is living now, live poor. So one day you can live richer when you're 65. But now all of a sudden, I finally get to get my money out of my retirement plan. And the government decides, you know what? We feel like raising taxes. Oh, nothing that you can do about it. We're going to do it retroactively, which means that we're going to take more of your money. You're going to get less of my money. So that's the system that we were a part of. And I found that the financial industry was an affiliate of that system. And they were doing the exact same things to people in that system as the educational system was doing. And I found that this is a problem. We got to do something differently. Uh, and what we had to do differently is, is I needed to find out not what the financial industry was doing. They were just as, they didn't know. Financial advisors were filing bankruptcy every day. They, they obviously didn't know. You got to understand the average financial advisor doesn't even make $100,000 and they're trying to teach you how to be a millionaire. That doesn't work. I wanted to find out what were millionaires and multimillionaires doing? How were they actually making millions of dollars? What were they doing with their finances? That's the route I need to go. So I began to get mentored by several millionaires and I found out what they were doing with their finances was the complete 
opposite of what we were being taught in school and even in the financial industry. And it just didn't align. That's incredible. And, and everybody, that's why I, I'm having Marvin on the show. Because everything he just said, I guarantee you either you are living that way right now or some of your loved ones are. And this is the point where you wake up. So Marvin, please mm -hmm. continue. I have no questions. Everything you're saying is perfect. And I want you to sure. continue down this road. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I'm at. That, that's what I did. When I did that, that's when I decided my business took off because I said I was failing at first as an entrepreneur because I realized I was playing by the, I was attempting to be independent, but I was still playing by the rules on what I learned in the financial industry. I said, I need to actually learn what other people were doing that are actually wealthy. And then my message began to change. And I noticed that people resonated with that message. People were calling me all the time. People were saying, I understand what you're saying. I've been feeling that way. I just didn't know how to put it into words. I've been feeling like the financial system didn't have my best interests at heart. I've been feeling like the educational system was a system to keep me as an employee and didn't want to teach me how to be an entrepreneur. I've been feeling like that, that nobody wanted to teach me how to be a generational curse breaker. And I was stuck in this cycle for the rest of my life. And I needed more information. I needed to understand something different. And then my business began to take off. I started teaching people how to be wealth creators instead of just being debtors. Um, and those are, those are some of the things that I began to do. So that's one of the things like I'm going to break down to your audience too, this whole philosophy about, uh, what is a debtor? What is a saver? What is a wealth creator? Okay. Is that, is that what you want to hear? Jump right in. That's what I was super excited about. So again, this is something you want to write down. You mm -hmm. know, people like this, you are either this person and it is very important that you evolve from either a debtor or a saver to a wealth creator which is exactly what Marvin is going to walk through with us right now. So please write yep. this down for your sake, for the sake of your family. The educational system teaches you to be a debtor. The top of the top, so to speak, in finances, learn how to be a saver. But there are, there are very few of us, and mostly are entrepreneurs, who ever learn how to be wealth creators. Okay, even entrepreneurs, not every entrepreneur is a wealth creator. So I'm, I'm gonna explain that in detail. So my question for you is this, if what you thought to be true about money turned out not to be true, when would you wanna know about it? Right now. <laughs> Second right thing, now. Uh, Brett, first time that you played tic-tac-toe, who won, you or the person that showed it to you? The person that showed it to me. Why, why do you think that is? Because I didn't, I, I mean, I would imagine it's because I didn't know how to play the game. Exactly. So the problem is, is that you're playing a game that the odds are already against you because you're playing against somebody that's very skilled and you don't even know how to play the game. You're learning how to play checkers and they're playing chess. So, so here, here's the deal. I'm going to show you, I'm going to get you to that next level right now. You're going to learn how to be a, um, a wealth creator. So the, the debtor, this is what the debtor does. The debtor um, starts off at zero. We all start out at zero. Hopefully when you're born, you're a baby, you're at zero. Um, and they spend life going into debt. They're going to get credit card interest for no appreciating value, except that they're going to spend money. They're going to go shopping. They're going to buy the most expensive things and they're just buying it on credit on debt. And now all of a sudden they get smart and say, I need to pay this off. So they start paying it off and then it's just too much to bear. So they go into debt more and then they try to pay it off and then they keep going into debt. They get back and forth. I was talking to somebody today that said their wife just had to get counseling because they kept going into debt. And then he actually said he cleared off her debt in 
three months later, she got back in the same debt. It's a mental cycle that just continues over and over. It's a rent race, right? It's a, but we don't want to be the debtor. We don't want to just be the debtor. We want to be the lender and not a borrower. And in fact, we want to use debt in a more appropriate way. Now, the next type of person is, now, problem with the debtor, this is something that I tell people. If you're a debtor, most of the time, a debtor can't see a big picture. They're just trying to get their foot above water. So their goal, they're going to listen to Dave Ramsey. They're going to listen to Susie Orman. And their goal is going to be, I have to be debt free. If I can get to be debt free, I can be anything I want to be. Problem with that is there's homeless people on the street that are debt free. Does that make them better financially or than you? It's not, it's not that the, it's not that you're not debt free. They're not building any assets that are producing any income. That's what we need to do. Even if we use debt in order to create income, debt isn't bad if you use it the right way. The next type of person is the saver. The saver, they're going to do the opposite. They're going to actually delay gratification. They're going to live poor so that they can save as much as they can. They're going to be very frugal. And they believe that it's an either or mentality. Either I struggle right now so that I can win later, or I win now, but I struggle later. They don't have what I believe you should have is an abundant mentality, which is a mentality where you can have both and not either or. You can live the lifestyle that you want now and you can live the lifestyle that you want later. Many people don't believe that exists, but the wealth creator does. And I'll talk about that in a second. So the so saver builds up. Just one quick sec. I just want to make sure we clarify for the audience here. So, so, the, so the debtor is the person mm -hmm. that's always buying materialistic things and yep. living to pay off depreciating assets, right? Exactly. And then the saver is the person that's just storing up all their cash. And then when they do go to buy something, they feel better about themselves because they're not going into debt. Mm -hmm. They're just writing a check essentially liquidating cash. all of their cash and yep. now they're back to way less than they had is that is that accurate oh you you got it Brett so what they okay. do is every single time that they build up their cash and they pay um for something with cash they're actually stopping the forward momentum of their money they're starting over each and every time think about it you're building momentum and then you go backwards you're building momentum again and then you go backwards how can you ever have exponential growth if you keep going, taking two steps forward and a step backwards, two steps forward and a step backwards? That's what the saver does. They're really not that much better than a debtor, believe it or not, because they steal every time that they spend money, they get closer to that zero line. We don't want to ever see that zero line again. We want to get as far as away from that zero line. A wealth creator wants to get as far as away from that zero line as possible, which means they never want to go backwards. So what the wealth creator does is that they only go up. They never stop the forward momentum of their money. What they do is they store up their cash in places that, that they can leverage against. So now when it's time to borrow against their own money, just like a debtor, they're going to borrow, but they're going to borrow against their own bank. And then they pay themselves back, but their money continued to grow at the same time. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have $100,000 and you're earning 5%. Well, if you don't touch it, the next year you have 105000 but if you're a wealth creator, it works the same even if you do touch it. So you got 100,000 and next year you have 105,000 even though you borrowed $30,000 against that money because you only borrowed against it, you didn't take it. So your actual money continued to grow and when you took the money and when you paid the money back, you were already five steps ahead because your money kept growing instead of using your own cash 
where now you got to build it back up. So the key is, it's to never be in a position where you have to build it back up. To only use debt to buy assets that are going to build you passive income, and then you use that passive income to do some of your frivolous spending. You make it seem so simple. And, and it's crazy because why is this not more widely broadcasted? And it's because you nailed it before. The system wants to keep you a slave to it. It doesn't mm -hmm. want you to know this, right? Can you maybe yeah, talk a little bit more it. about that? <laughs> so you got to understand this. Again, what game are they, play, are they playing? The system is always thinking 10 steps ahead. You got to understand. Let me give you an example. People say, oh my God, the government did such a great thing for me because they provided me with this 401k. So now I can save my money and I get to deduct it from my taxes that year. And then it grows tax deferred. And, and, and now that it grows tax deferred, I've built up this money without paying taxes. But what they don't tell you is that they did it for their own personal reasons. Yes, they gave you a, a, a deduction at the very beginning, but keep in mind that you probably... You know, when you started, maybe you had kids, maybe you had a house, maybe you're getting right off that interest. And then as it, let's say you started with 50,000, but it grows to 500,000. Guess what? You save money on your $100,000 that you contributed. You save maybe $15,000. Well, now that account is worth 500,000. The government comes and say, I want 40%. I want $250,000. So wait a minute. I saved $20,000, but now I owe the go. I, I prevented myself from paying taxes on 20,000 in the beginning, but now I owe the government 250,000 out of my account. The government used you as their savings account. So let me ask you a question, Brett. This, this, this is crazy. Does this make sense to you, Brett? It makes total sense. And this is something, again, everybody, before you ask me this question, I hope you're taking notes on this because this is why I wanted Marvin on the episode. He is giving us so much value right now. So please go ahead, Marvin. So, Brett, I'm going to I'm going to make it simple. I know I know sometimes all of these numbers and the government and all of this stuff can be confusing. So I'm going to make it very simple. Brett, you come to me and you have uh, not a real big emergency, but you want to do something. You want to invest in your business or something. And you come to me and say, Marvin, I want a loan. Can you give me a loan for ten thousand dollars? So I said, absolutely. Brett, here's ten thousand dollars. You know, that's, e that's pretty easy, right? Mm -hmm. So before, before you take that loan, Brett, what are the two things you're going to want to know before you take that loan? Term and interest. Yeah, yeah. When do I have to pay it back? And what is the interest rate? That's obvious. Now, what have I told you, Brett, don't worry about that, man. Um, um, I'll decide when I want the money back. And at that time, I'll come collect it from you. And uh, I don't know what the terms are going to be. But one day I'll decide what the terms are going to be. And at that time, I'll come back and charge you interest on that retroactively from the first day that you borrowed the money. But go ahead and take this $10,000. What do you would to say to I me? Would, I would run for the hills. I'd say thank you, but no thank you. The crazy thing, though, Brett, we've been doing the exact same things when you're contributing to your 401k. Hmm. Think about it. When you contribute to your 401k, yep, when you contribute to your 401k, they're basically saying, we don't know when we're going to force you to take this money out, but there's a rule that the government actually, when you hit a certain age, they're going to force you to take that money out of the 401k so that you can pay taxes on it. And so they're not going to tell you when because they can change that age at any time. You don't know when it's going to be exactly. The second thing is government can raise taxes anytime they want to. Taxes is basically like their interest rate, which means that when you take the money out, 
the taxes is what you pay them. So it could be 20% right now, but they can raise it to 40% and they're gonna go back and not say that, well, it was only 20% when you started. No, they're gonna say it's 40% retroactive on that first dollar that you put in. So mm. this is what people are doing with their retirement all mm. the time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible that you put it that way. And it makes so much sense when you look, about, when you look at it from that perspective. So now, how does somebody go about tactically becoming their own bank? Because this has me just purely fascinated. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so when, you, when you look to create your own bank, it has to be an account that you can borrow against. It has to be tax-free. It has to be something where you have control over it. It has to be something that you don't lose if the market goes down. So we want to look at all of these things. Now, if you explore any other vehicle, none of them have all of those things. The only thing that has all of those things is certain types of permanent life insurance. Now, here's the thing. We have been taught that life insurance is only for death benefit. Wealthy individuals, ultra wealthy individuals understand that life insurance is to protect yourself against taxes and to have tax-free income and to be able to leverage and borrow against. Again, why do, you know, it, it kills me when some people come to me and say, I've saved enough money. I don't need life insurance, right? So I know you don't need life insurance. You might want life insurance though. <laughs> let, me, let me explain to you. So does Donald Trump need life insurance? Absolutely not. Donald Trump has a lot of life insurance. That's why his tax returns, one of the reasons that his tax returns were so low. Mitt Romney, does he need life insurance? No, he was super rich, but why did he pay 10% in taxes when everybody else paid 30%? Because they leveraged life insurance. Walt Disney, Walt Disney started Disney World by tapping into a life insurance policy. J.C. Penney, super rich at the time, started all of the J.C. Penney stores by utilizing life insurance. Um, what's so crazy is the banks that you go to, Wells Fargo, all of the banks that you go to, one of their biggest investments is life insurance. So the banks are actually using life insurance to make, to make them money. Well, well, we're showing you how to actually become the bank so you can do the leveraging and not let the banks do the leveraging for you. So when it comes to life insurance, you can't just get any type of life insurance. There are certain rules to this life insurance game. Number one, there are different types. You got term life, you got permanent life, and then you got different types of permanent life. And then you got different ways that you can structure the permanent life. So you don't just want to attempt to do this at home. It's kind of like one of those things. Don't try this at home, right? So term life insurance is, again, just for a term, which means if you agree to a 10-year or 20-year term, at the end of that 10-year or 20-year term, it's over, which means you built no cash value. There's no benefits. Um, if you didn't die within that term, you have no life insurance. Now, Insurance companies actually make more money off term than they do permanent policies because only 2% of term policies are ever executed. So they're making money. Either people are canceling them or they're expiring. Permanent life insurance, um, you're going to have the ability to, if you structure it properly, you can structure it for the lowest amount of death benefit for the highest amount of cash value so that you can leverage against that cash value to become a wealth creator and you can borrow against it as it continues to grow uninterrupted. Yeah, that's super smart. Just to go back so everybody knows, because I know some people listening to this are not going to be big insurance people. Again, term yep. is for a term, right? So if you have yep. a 10-year term policy and you don't die in that 10 years, your money goes away, right? So that's insurance yep. that if something happens in a set period of time, 
you're covered, right? But after that, that's it. And as you mentioned, only 2% of policies on term are ever paid out. So that's why your monthly premiums are so low, correct? Mm -hmm. On the permanent side, that's what people refer to as whole life, right? That means yep. that you're pretty much guaranteed to get paid out as long as you keep paying your monthly premiums on time. So yeah, let me let me let me give your your audience a really quick lesson on life please. insurance. I mean, you did a great job. Um, so if I come, if if let's say we can get a um, and remember these numbers are just conceptual. So don't say I don't know if I can get a five hundred thousand dollar policy for that much. Remember, we're staying conceptual because I want you to understand. Because I don't know your age. There's health benefits. There's a lot of other variables that go into what the cost will be of your policy. So let's just say I can get a five hundred thousand dollar death benefit by paying $1,000 in a month. But I can also get a $500,000 death benefit for paying, I'm sorry, $1,000 in a year. But I can also get a $500,000 policy for paying $10,000 in a year. Why would I pay $10,000 when I can actually only pay $1,000? Well, when you only pay $1,000, this is what term is, which means it builds up no cash value, no extra benefits. It expires after a certain amount of time. So if you know you're going to die within that 10-year or 20-year period, do term. It's the best investment that you can make. But if you don't know that you're going to die within that 10 to 20-year period, don't. I mean, you, you might want to consider if term is best for you. So then $10,000, why would you do that? Because if you structure it right, most of that $10,000 actually goes to your cash value where you can actually use it and implement it, which means that now you're going to have money protected from the IRS. Um, you can't get sued. They can't take the money. No liability there you're gonna be able to get all of these features such as tax-free growth, borrowing against it, doing all of these particular things, and that money continues to grow as if you never touched it. So when you contribute to this, you can't just dump a bunch of money in at one time. You can't just dump a bunch of money in at one time. It has to be at least over a seven-year period. There's a seven-year rule so that it doesn't become taxable. If you don't fund it for at least seven years, it becomes a taxable event, just like your 401k or IRA. So there's certain rules that you have to follow. But the government limited how much money you can actually put in there. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would the government ever limit the amount that you can put into a life insurance policy? It doesn't make sense. Could it be that they understand that the more money you put into your cash value this way, that they don't get to get any tax revenue from it? The government, all they care about is taxes, right? So you're protecting yourself against taxes. You're able to leverage that money. You're able to utilize that money. You're able to do what I do. Well, what do I do? I borrow against my policy as it continues to grow. I started my real estate company where I have 180 units by not using my own money, but by using the bank's money. And I mean, I'm using my insurance policies money and borrowing against my policy. I did my Airbnb business, my Amazon business. Um, I've, I've used it several times and recycled that money and continue to pay it back. And that's why my wealth continues to go forward and I don't have to keep going backwards and rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. So for you real estate investors out there, for you entrepreneurs out there, for you people who are using your own cash to go out and buy these developments, or you're paying 20% down of your own cash, I would strongly consider taking the time to build this type of policy so now that you can utilize it to do those projects and you can make money in three to four places at one time. That's amazing. My question to you is, Marvin, you said it takes some time. So for somebody like me that doesn't have yeah. one of these, if I wanted to get involved with this, 
what is the time period in which I would have to uphold the policy before it would gain cash value, where I would now have access to this money? Because again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if I opened up this policy, did some business with you, which I'm absolutely planning on doing, and I get to a point where you know, I'd imagine I'm not going to have $100,000 in cash value yep. in a matter of a couple of years. So how do I go about, you know, leveraging my whole life policy for, sure. you know, a down payment on a house if there's not that much cash value accumulated maybe that quickly? Can you just break that yeah. down for us? Well, it could accumulate that quickly if you, put a, if you put a ton in it right away. But I see what you're saying. Like technically you can borrow against it um, in a, within the first year. Um, but obviously you, you wouldn't have accumulated that much. So what I tell people, imagine, think of this as if you're building a business. Remember, you're creating your bank. Um, three to five years is what I recommend. It's going to be the really the build up time to truly, truly leverage and take advantage of this bank. You might say, oh, three to five years is a long time. Now, what's funny is you're, you're telling me three to five years is a long time to build up this bank, but you're willing to contribute to a 401k that you can't touch until you're 59 and a half. So what you're telling me is that you're okay with listening blindly to the government where you're 30 and you're going to sit your money aside where you can't touch it for 30 years. You can't leverage against it. You can't do anything, but you don't have three to five years to truly build something that you can utilize over and over and over and not pay taxes on it. So Very yes, smart. there is a time frame, but you know, that time frame is insignificant in the grand scheme of things because just like a snowball, the longer you have it, the more it's going to build momentum and, and that ball is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where it's just un, undeniably just crazy. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of overfunding this, right? So let's say you have, I don't know, your, your annual premium for this thing, meaning the amount of money you have to put into the policy is a thousand bucks, like you said before. Can you just put 10,000 in and overfund this thing by 9,000 and that just goes directly to cash value? Because you mentioned before, you can't really, it creates a taxable event if you overfund this. So how does that work? Yeah, it it depends on how you structure it. But like, let's just say we can put a maximum of of $7,000 in. You just want to put the $7,000 in and then the $7,000 next year and $7,000 next year. If you overfund it too much, even in a year, it turns into what's called a MEC. A MEC means modified endowment contract, which basically means that now they can start taxing you like a 401k, which we want to avoid. So what I do when I have more money, uh, let's, you know, obviously, hopefully you make money over time. So when I started off, I only did a $9,000 a year policy. Uh, well, as I started making more money, I started doing $40,000 a year in a policy. And I started making even more money. I started doing $100,000 a year. But I started a different policy each time. It wasn't me overfunding even more the first policy I started with. Got it. That makes sense. And did you do that for taxable purposes or you did that just because you knew there was a better strategy? Long-term taxable purposes. Now, I wouldn't say short-term taxable because if I put it into an IRA, I'm able to deduct it that year, but I got to pay the taxes later. So for long-term tax purposes, absolutely, because I can use that for income down the line. And, um, and technically, I don't have to pay it back because if I don't pay it back, it's subtracted from my death benefit. So, so yeah, so for long-term, I'm getting some tax benefits. I'm getting some uh, business funding opportunities. Like now I can, I can uh, bar- loan out my money to real estate investors and charge 9 10% um, on that particular money. My money is still growing while it's loaned out. And when they pay me back, I put it right back and I keep recycling and doing it over and over again. So I'm making money interest while I'm loaning interest. So it, 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 it's crazy. It's like the velocity of money. If you can make your money, make money for you in three different places at one time. Now you've really made it. 
Well, because that's ultimately what the government's doing with your 401k anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. So essentially you do become the bank. So you become the bank. So congratulations. So um, what I do have is I do have an, am I, is it okay if I let people know what they can do? Please. So if you, if you want to know, like, you know, we don't have time to go into as many details as I would like to. So if you want to learn how you can create your own bank, I do have a little cheat sheet. Um, one of my, my cheat sheets is going to be uh, the bankers checklist.com. That's with an S T H E bankers, B A N K E R S checklist.com. You can actually download a free copy of that to, to you know, understand. And then after that, if you want to join my mentorship, there's going to be a special offer with a potential discount for you to join my mentorship. You don't have to, but it's a good offer if you want to. Um, also, my book um, should be out. It's, it's becomeyourownbankbook.com. So becomeyourownbankbook.com. At the time of this recording, there's a wait list for it. By the time it comes out, it might be out. So make sure that you go to that becomeyourownbank.com. And if you're the type of person who just want to skip right to creating your own banks and, hey, I know I want to do this, you can get on our calendar, my team's calendar, and we'll get you set up. And that website is just wealthcreationcall.com, wealthcreationcall.com. And you can schedule directly with my team and we can help you to set up your own bank. Amazing. And I was going to ask you to do that. So you beat me to it anyway. So Marvin, this was an absolute pleasure. You are a treasure of a person and I appreciate you sharing some of your time here with my audience. Is there anything you'd like to share just in closing before we wrap up this interview? Yeah, I would just tell you, look, we got to be generational curse breakers. This is your opportunity to change your life, to change your family's life, to change the next generation's life. You can do it. Don't listen to the naysayers. The naysayers always are going to talk down to your vision. It's time for you to be the bigger person, you to have the bigger vision and go for that vision. And look, the biggest thing I would tell you is don't take advice from people that are broke. Make sure that you're taking advice from people who are where you want to be. And, uh, and that's what I had to learn in the financial industry. And that's the best thing that I could tell you. But I appreciate you allowing me to come on, Brett. Hopefully this helps your audience. And um, I'm looking forward to helping some people. 100%. Marvin, thank you for your time. And I look forward to talking to you soon. And for everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Grow to Gold podcast. Hopefully this helped you. If it did, and you're not yet subscribed, please hit that subscribe button, like, give us a review, and make sure you find Marvin. Where can they find you on Instagram? Because that's where I can. Great question. Instagram is Marvin Mitchell official. Marvin Mitchell official. Make sure that you look me up. Love it. Thank you, Marvin. Have a great day. Hey, thank you, Brett. Appreciate you.